my privilege as one of the pastors here, Josh McLean, to, to open God's word and to share that with you. And, and uh, I love to do that. That's one of the privileges of my life. But this morning, I also have a privilege of introducing a dear friend uh, to you. Uh, Michael Crawford is the executive director of the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware. Uh, he is a planter, a church planter. He is a pastor. Uh, he's a conference speaker. He's a dear friend. He's an encourager, and I know that you'll be blessed by uh, his time with us this morning. And so I invite you to give him all your attention as he opens uh, God's word for us this morning. Uh, Brother Michael, would you come and speak? Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning, and it's good to be out here. I do recall visiting um, this actual location one other time, uh, but it's been many, many years ago, and it's a great privilege to be out here with you, and uh, I want you guys to know that you guys are prayed for. Uh, Pastor Josh knows that at the BCMD, we have uh, changed a few things. The executive suite has been converted into more of a prayer and strategy room. And it's a place where we pray for all of the churches in the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, yours being one of them. And we're so happy that you guys are partnering with 400 plus churches to see the work of God internationally and nationally and also locally in our, our two state conventions. So we're excited about that and excited about your participation. Uh, this morning, I want us to look at a subject from Scripture that I believe is a growing and destructive element of our culture. And that subject is partiality. In fact, in my opinion, it's without question a defining sin of the age. I didn't say the defining sin. I said it is a defining sin of our age. In other words, it's practiced so readily and so abundantly that we hardly even recognize it anymore because it's become so normalized for us to, to kind of be this way. And I want you to know that I stand before you as someone who isn't exempt from actually seeing the world through the exaggerated lens of partiality. I am imperfect in this, so I want to humbly submit to you this morning uh, this subject from Scripture. Now, partiality, um, I'm defining as the habit of favoring something. And uh, I know that some of you may be already thinking in your theological lens that, well, um, Aren't there some, some uh, positive aspects of that? Without a doubt. Uh, there's without a doubt. But today, we're going to focus from Scripture, where Scripture speaks to us to exhort us and warn us from falling into the negative or sinful or exaggerated size of partiality, which leads us to not love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and not love our neighbors ourselves. So now, when we think about partiality... You can, it's, it's sometimes it's easier to understand it if you point it out in history. And I'm, I'm a simple guy, so I, I like to make sure that people really understand what I'm saying, because uh, that's most important that people understand what the word is saying, not that something was brilliant or eloquent. So it, I think it would be fair to say that in the late 1930s and the early 40s uh, of, 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 this, of the history of, of our planet, um, there was this country called Germany, and they had a, a, a leadership named as the Third Reich, the Nazis. And I think it's pretty fair to say that the Nazis overtly, publicly, without any repentance or any apologies, practiced partiality. 
I think most people would agree with that, except the less than one percenters that believe it never even happens. Um, but most of us would say, no, that, that's partiality. We could also see um, times in American history where partiality has been practiced. In other words, whether we're looking in the Bible or outside the Bible, we can see partiality. Uh, we remember the story of how there were two kids, um, Jacob and Esau, and we, we saw the partiality in that home. And then when Jacob had his 12 kids, he practiced partiality towards Joseph. So this is not a foreign subject to the Bible. It's not a foreign subject to culture. And in every age humans have lived, this side of sin, partiality, the sinful type, has been practiced. And what I'd like to do this morning with the rest of our time is look in the Bible and see what it says about partiality. So first and foremost, we're going to look at what I'm calling sociology and partiality from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, which says, you shall, not, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God has given you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, and that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. Here God has given instructions to Old Covenant Israel as to kind of almost the conditions by which they would inherit the land. And he's exhorting them over and against what he saw in the practice of the nations of partiality and injustice, saying, look, you got to appoint judges and officers that um, are about justice. They, they judge righteously. And he's exhorting them in verse 19 not to pervert justice, and then he explicitly says, you shall not show partiality. And he talks about there in verse 19, and you shall not accept the bribe because of what it does. Now, brothers and sisters, sometimes we look back at the, at the Bible and we look about those people and it's, it's, it's common for us to think, well, you know, those poor people, they didn't have books and Google and internet and 5Gs and drive-throughs and they didn't have Second Amendment rights and those poor pathetic people. So, of course, God had to exhort them on things like bribes. We know better. But we are less than an hour away from a place that is the bribery capital of the world. It's called Washington, D.C. And this is the thing. As sinners grow older, they get more sophisticated at sinning. They know that if you walk up with a million-dollar briefcase in broad daylight and you hand it to a legislator that's going to be caught on film. So there's different ways you bribe. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you get lobbyists. And it just so happens now that someone who started at a congressman or a woman whose net worth was $100,000, and then 20 years later, they're worth $200 million. It just so happens now that they're members of country clubs, they got shares and such and such and such and such. Bribery can be very sophisticated. But the, but the problem or the challenge here is that it's a temptation to pervert justice. I live in Baltimore City. I've been there for 13 years. We moved there 13 years ago to plant a church called Freedom Church, otherwise known as Gotham City, without Batman. And I've often wanted to be Batman in Baltimore. 
But Baltimore is replete with all types of injustice and partiality. It's insane from the education system to the water and power to the streets to the justice system, many uh, aspects of the police department, and even in the church, we see this issue of partiality. And what I want you to see is that it's always been God's heart that this issue of partiality not have any foothold in any institution, in any sphere of our culture. God clearly calls it out. You shall show no partiality. Some of you have been keeping track of some of the social things that have been going on uh, in our culture, and you, it's very clear and easy to see partiality. It is very clear. And what you need to hear today is that God's message through his word is that we should not be taking part in that partiality. And we've got to be um, thinking, and we've got to really be discerning, uh, because culture is very powerful. I was talking to a church planners yesterday in Philadelphia, and they were explaining to me all the struggles of trying to preach faithfully through the Word of God and preaching on the subject of trauma and how people have so many concepts about things from the world instead of the Word and how difficult it often is for them to really keep track. And my encouragement for you here today is that your fundamental source for what you to how do you to view culture and society should be the word and not your favorite person on Instagram. It should be the word and not your favorite news channel. It should be the word and not your favorite YouTuber or the person you subscribe to. It shouldn't be any platform or any one person. It's to be the Bible, and the Bible clearly exhorts us not to show partiality. But secondly. We see that Jesus was committed and practiced no partiality. In Jesus' ministry, it is interesting that we have this text here in Luke chapter 20 and verse 21, where Jesus' authority is being questioned, and there's a statement made about Jesus in verse 21 of Luke 20. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. This is what they said about Jesus. They said, we know this, that you speak and teach rightly, and you show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Oh, that our pulpits would continually be filled with people like Jesus who showed no partiality. That it wouldn't matter if Gallup said, well, the, uh, the majority of Americans believe this about abortion or this about racism or this about gender. Oh, that there would be not only pulpits but a people who showed no partiality. That whatever the word says is what the word says. And whatever the consequences are is what the consequences are. I was listening to a song this morning and I was reminded of how it clearly speaks to the issue where the woman said... I am for truth no matter who it is for or against. And I'm for justice no matter who it's for or against. I will show no partiality. And our Lord Jesus Christ was committed to teaching the word of God and the way of God no matter the consequences. And sometimes we, we don't really consider the, the gravity upon which um, the, the kind of almost like the arena and the environment upon which Jesus taught. You know, Jesus had pressure from all sides. 
He had the Pharisees wanting him to join their party and be one of them, and if not, we'll kill you. Then he had the Sadducees, which would be the liberals, wanting him to join their party. And he had all these tugs and pulls, and then he had the tradition of the Jews coming up against him saying, no, you, you, you got to keep the traditions about who you hang out with, what you say, when you wash your hands. There was constant pressure on Jesus to be partial. And at every single uh, um, turn, he showed no partiality. The third thing I'd like to show you is something that many of you guys already know. And that is according to Romans chapter 2, God is not partial. In Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, we read Paul's kind of unveiling of the fact that God is really committed to no partiality. And here he's describing how every single person is going to have to render account for what they've done. Verse 6 of Romans 2, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and those who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. See, this is good news for the person who's halfway sane. But it is bad news for the person who has a presupposition. Now you know, you know that sin is very impartial to who practices it. It's not like what we're told in the media and in various stages of human history that only certain people can practice certain sins. You know that's foolish, right? God is not partial. God is not partial at all. And it is interesting here that Paul, in an age where ethnic identity was so important, actually goes politically correct. He would not be able to be on CNN or Fox News. He'd probably get canceled for just writing these five verses. For saying, look, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek. You're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, boy, girl. If you obey God, you get treated this way. If you disobey God, in other words, there's no favors for who you are and what your skin looks like and where you're from or what your language is. There's no partiality because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're all saved only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus. God shows no partiality. You know what's interesting about this? is that it's interesting in human history, people are always trying to get God to wear their jersey. As if God's a fan. You ever notice that? It's kind of like the funny thing where I remember years ago when we were Plant Freedom Church, I got approached by the Baltimore Orioles and they said, we want you to be the chaplain. And I joked to the guy who was trying to hire me. I told him no, but I said, well, does that mean I have to pray only for the Orioles to win? I said, so that means like the Blue Jays come in town, I can't pray that. He goes, well, you, you actually got to be kind of careful with that because, you know, the players and, and you know, and you got to, you know, yeah, yeah. and he was kind of trying to say, yeah, you kind of can't, but you kind of can because I can't tell you. And it's like, it was very clear, right? And, and of course, I've been to, to, I've been to Ravens games and I've seen the, 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 
the ruckus between like the, the Pat Patriots and the Ravens fans and the jerseys and the, the combatants. And, and oftentimes we want to get God on our side. And when we're trying to get God on our side, you realize we're making God out to be a fan. Less than deity. Less than the most high. Less than the God of Isaiah 40 who says, to whom then shall you compare me to? All the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Right? And so God is not partial. He shows no partiality. And he's in the process of birthing and cultivating and sanctifying a people who show no partiality. My brothers and sisters, one of the most grievous ways that God's people can violate the gospel and violate the tenet to love your neighbor as yourself is to, be, is to show partiality when God himself is so not into partiality. But this truth is also seen, number four, in what I call pastors and partiality. Now, unfortunately, um, in the day and age we live in, as it's been said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets out of bed. And most people are more concerned about being first than right. And unfortunately, that's often true in the church. I've only, this is the second time I preached this message. I actually preached it last week at the church that I founded. And because I could take a little bit more liberty with them, I told them what I thought about doing, even though I didn't do it. I thought about having my Facebook page shown on the screens and, and a live demonstration of how partial we are in the church with them witnessing, writing a story. I was walking my dog, Boomy, he's a Rottweiler, through the neighborhood. And a neighbor saw my dog and got scared and came outside with their cell phone and called the police and started taking rocks and throwing it at Boomy. And I just don't know what to do. Post. Now the church all knows it's a fabricated story. And then we could watch and see the people who are my friends start to weigh in. Oh, I bet she was white. Oh, this. Oh, 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 that's so bad. Oh, we should pray for her. How terrible. Now I'm lying the whole time. They don't know I'm lying. But they think because it's on Facebook, it's true. They think because it's Pastor Mike, it must be true. They, 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 have, they are gullible and they're lulled into just practicing partiality. Yet we know that the Bible says the first to plead his case seems just until another comes and examines him. We have literally lost our minds and we are on the same train as the world. And we wonder why we get the same results. We wonder why our churches are dying. We wonder why there's no life. We wonder why the world has no vested interest in the church and our gospel. Because when we practice partiality, we don't show the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to say no to the flesh and yes to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to what it says. And it's very clear. Let the elders who, verse 17 let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder on the evidence of 
except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Hmm. Hmm. I guess Facebook threw that out. (laughs) So did Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. It's insane. Now, before you guys may think, oh, he's a pastor, so he may be part of that SBC conspiracy, and I just wonder how he feels. Let it be known against our lawyer's advice at Freedom Church and against our lawyers on retainer at the BCMD. When I became the executive director, I sat down with our lawyers to find out what's going on. And I told them, I said, I have to tell you, I have a very strong position on ongoing, open, unrepentant abuse in the church. He says, well, how strong is your opinion? I said, I think we should burn the churches down. And I had a serious face. And he goes, uh, are you serious? I said, yeah, I think we should. We should burn the church down. So let me be clear. At Freedom Church, I said, if I ever found out that this church in some area of our church was committed to open, unrepentant abuse in any way and were not willing to repent, I'd start finding ways to burn the building down. He said, well, that's not right. Well, I'd rather see a building burned down and the people dispersed than to have a house full of iniquity. So don't get it twisted. I am for justice no matter who it's against or for. I am for truth no matter who it's for or against. But here it clearly says that uh, an, uh, a charge against an elder should, should not be brought unless it's got two or three witnesses. Because without that, the proneness to partiality is so great. Verse 20, and as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Verse 21, listen, in the presence of God, he's talking to Timothy, and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, listen, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice, doing nothing from partiality. So the people who lead the churches should not be practicing partiality. They should not be practicing partiality. As a matter of fact, the practice of partiality, the commitment to partiality, the the disposition that I'm not going to repent of partiality is a disqualification. And, And pastors and leaders were charged by Paul, you don't practice it, but they were also charged, don't let it go on in the church either. There's no room for partiality. Partiality completely wrecks the church, brothers and sisters. And then the church was also charged as the people of God not to practice partiality. In James chapter 2, listen to these words. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? 
if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. And who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this is a New Testament church. And in this New Testament church... They had to be told and exhorted not to practice partiality. So if we think in our churches that we don't practice partiality, we're fooling ourselves. We have a proneness and a disposition towards it. And we need to be aware of the fact that we are prone to practice this partiality, brothers and sisters. And we need to be alerting ourselves and we need to be there quickly and and effectively to sniff it out. The truth of the matter is, even in Jesus' day with his disciples, his disciples oftentimes would practice partiality. I'll give you two instances. One was when they were out in the middle of nowhere and all these crowds were there. And the the disciples were like, you got to send them away. We have nothing to feed them. Another time, the little children were being brought to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them. And, and tried to get them away from Jesus. And Jesus had to encourage them. In other words, if Jesus' own disciples who were with him for three years saw all of his miracles and his teachings were prone to partiality, so we too are prone to partiality. You and I may not be practicing now, but we need to have our eyes and our ears open. The idea that we could never practice partiality is a very dangerous place to be. Lastly, The gospel and partiality, there is no partiality in the gospel. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. God shows no partiality. I'm thankful that God shows no partiality because I wasn't, I wasn't born in a Christian home. I wasn't born as a preacher's son. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surrounded by religion. I grew up around wealthy people, wealthy Jewish people, people who uh, didn't, weren't really acquainted with their religion, who were really about just the acquisition of things and, and just hedonism, and, and that's where I grew up. I grew up privileged as a black kid in Southern California, going to private schools, because some people invested in me. I didn't know Jesus. I never heard about Jesus. And yet God sought me out. God did not look upon Michael Crawford and say, well, you know, I don't know so much about him. It's amazing. In my youth, all of the sins I was committing, all the denying I was doing, all the truth suppressing I was doing, God didn't show some side of partiality but sought me out. And, 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 and through a series of amazing events, I found myself reading a Bible and becoming a Christian. And I never in a million years fathomed that one day I'd be in Hagerstown, Maryland, preaching the gospel. 
But God shows no partiality. And so as we hear these truths, one of the things that I think needs to come to our minds is, are there any areas in our life where we are showing partiality, where we need to repent? Are there any areas in our life where we need, we're showing partiality and we need to repent? Is there a place in our thinking, in our hearts, where we need to repent? We need to say, God, I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. And let me meddle a little bit more. If, it's, if that's too vague, what about in your marriage? What about in your marriage? Is there a place where you're beginning to show partiality, where you're ten times more critical of your wife than you are of the woman you work with? You're ten times more critical of your husband than of the deacon in the church. It's partiality. Are we practicing partiality towards one another? This stench of partiality mucks up the gospel and the grace of God, and it turns the church into this really weird, cliquish, cultist place where you only fit in as if you're in. And it's one of the reasons why when visitors come, not knowing anything about us, if we're showing partiality, they may feel like, man, do I fit in here? Is there any room for repentance? Any room for repentance personally? Any room for repentance socially? Any room for repentance politically? No one ever told me that I wasn't supposed to speak the way I speak. You know, and originally when I became a Christian, I went to school and I made, I was a pre-law student. I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be a preacher because I saw preachers and they were scared to talk about stuff. And then I saw preachers start talking about stuff and then they'd get pulled in the boards by the board meeting with their deacons and they would be, they would, they would put a leash and a collar on them and stick them in a crate and they, you know, give them some, some preacher treats and tell them to calm down. And I didn't want to be that guy. So I said, you know, I'm going to go to school and go be a lawyer and make my own money. That way the church can't threaten me to fire me. I can say whatever the Bible says. You know, I could be like John the Baptist. I could go to a king and say it's not right for you to have her. Oh, you're a pastor. You can't preach on stuff like that. Why not? It's in the Bible. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to call myself and the church and our whole generation to repentance and to believe in this gracious, good, loving, merciful God who sent us a Savior so that we can practice the things that he's called us to practice. I don't know what it may be, whether it's personally, whether it's socially, whether it's politically, or maybe it's even in a missional way. Eight years ago, I started working at the Baptist Convention in Maryland, Delaware. I came on board because I was a critic and I didn't want to die a bitter old man like A.W. Pink. who was a wonderful writer, but he died on an island alone, not going to churches and thinking Christians were yuckety yucks, but whatever. I don't want to die like that. So let me get in the game and try to help where I can. I met a man named Tom Stoll. Some of you know Tom. Tom has a son named Jimmy. And Jimmy has autism. Jimmy's a beautiful young man. And I didn't think anything of it because I was one of those guys when I was walking through Walmart or Target or, you know, if that doesn't impress you, Macy's, Foot Locker, whatever. I would see someone with a disability and I got uncomfortable so I would do the job of the priest and the Levite and find a way to walk around them. I was uncomfortable. But Tom had a son named Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy as he got older, began to aggress Tom and Shelly. 
By the way, this is all public. He's done videos on this, so I'm not like ratting him out. <laughs> um, and one day Tom came to work. He has scratches on his arm. I said, what happened? He said, well, Jimmy was aggressing us. I said, tell me your story. He told me a story. Two hours later, I'm just weeping. I said, would you come to my church and tell this story? He goes, what? I said, yeah, just come to the church and tell the story. I'll preach for like 10 minutes and you just talk. So he did. And around that time, we had another lady who came to our church who was blind. She was taking some medicine from a surgery and it made her blind. And she was married to this guy and he was going to be a church planter. And I started to get her. Her name was Amber Lee. And it was like God was surrounding me with people who were affected by disabilities. And then I find myself at lunch with a pastor of the largest deaf church in America with Amber Lee. And I'm saying, like, God, what are you trying to do? And God was opening up my eyes because I was partial to people with disabilities. Then I looked out in my church and I went, wait, there's no people with disabilities here. Wait, there's, there's no access to with people with disabilities. And then I, then I did my research and found out that people with disabilities in America is like one out of every five, one out of every four. They're the largest unreached people group in America. I'm all for going to Afghanistan and the Philippines and, and Mexico for missions trip. But right here in America, 80 to 90% of people who are affected by disabilities don't go to church. And if you ask them the number one reason why, they said, we don't really think we fit there. I got really uncomfortable with that. God was confronting me with my partiality that I wouldn't say was over, but it was covert. It was just based in like a lot of fear and anxiousness and I don't know what to do. And God invited me into that. And so we started a network called the Banquet Network. And all of a sudden I found myself as the chairman of the board and a founder of a network. I had no clue. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. All I know is that I think God's calling me into this James 2 types thing to make sure that our church as much as possible is a place that's welcome for anybody. No matter where they're coming from, no matter what their background is. I didn't want to be a church that only a certain type of people fit in. I used to go to a church when I, when I uh, first got saved and it was a conservative church in California where everyone wore suits and ties. That's my bow tie. And uh, I don't have a coat on, though. I'm, I broke it. I broke it. And I remember that church was in, in, in this, in close to Hollywood where a lot of the movies and stuff were made. And I remember as the church grew, people started coming to the church. And some people would come to the church from certain industries that weren't exactly Christian. You guys know what I mean. There's little ears in the building. And I remember the deacons having a meeting about how we're going to buy like 25 trench coats so that when women came in who weren't dressed appropriately, we could cloak them. These are real discussions, real life stuff. And be that what it may about their opinions and their consciousness, I asked the question, are we not showing partiality? Like, it's one thing... For, for somebody to come in totally inappropriate, but it's, it's another thing. And so God has been challenging me with this forever. The last thing I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, is this. God isn't partial at all. He says, if anyone will come to me, I'll receive them. 
He says, as we read before, if you were heavy laden and you're feeling some type of burden or pressure today, he'll receive you. Jesus will never reject anyone who comes to him. So today is a day of salvation. Today is a day to come to the God who is not partial. There is nothing you have done, are doing, or will do that would eliminate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus because God is not partial. There is no past history that you have. There's no present thing you did this week. There's no thoughts you have thought that will eliminate you from this. And I know in a crowd this big, coming from the background that I came from, came from a background of, of, of immense mental challenges, um, all types of challenges, that there are people in here who probably had a really rough week. I mean a rough week. And maybe there's some people in here who did some stuff you're not proud of. And I know how this works because I used to think this way too. I used to think, God can't handle me. I'm too great of a sinner. God can't absorb me. I ain't straight yet. I haven't got it all figured out yet. And when you say that to yourself about God, you're practicing partiality towards him. And what you're saying is, is that God is partial. And that he won't accept a broken sinner. He won't accept your imperfections. He won't accept where you are right now and that you've got to do something to make yourself acceptable to him. And it's simply not true. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so today is the day of salvation. I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe in coincidence. There is no way in the world that I would have ever found myself in Hagerstown, Maryland. No offense to Hagerstown, Maryland. But I didn't even know that Maryland existed. I was a Californian. The only thing we know is California. We think we're the center of the universe. God saw in his providence to put all these moves together to bring me here today to speak to you for a few moments on partiality. What is the Spirit of God inviting you to today? What is he saying to you? May you see and may you find the arms of Jesus reached out, stretched out for you. God loves you. God wants you. God will keep you. God will favor you. And may God give you the grace to come to him today. Let's pray together. Thank you so, Lord, for your kindness and your goodness. Uh, thank you for reminding us about this topic of partiality, and we just want to pause and say thank you that you do not practice partiality. We want to say thank you that you have accepted us like your word says. Thank you so much that throughout even our lives when we have gone astray from you, you didn't practice partiality and cast us out. Thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we want to ask on behalf of our nation that you would grant us repentance. We want to ask that you would forgive us for all the partiality that we have practiced, that we are practicing. Forgive our, 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 uh, those in authority, our leaders. Forgive those in charge of networks and, and social media. Uh, forgive us when we practice partiality, Lord. Grant us repentance. Help us to be churches that are just like you that see like you see, believe what you want us to believe, feel what you want us to feel, and act the way you've called us to act. 
God, make us a peculiar people, a people who are not prone to the tides of things in culture, but are fixated on your word. And thank you for your everlasting grace, your unbending mercy, and your amazing patience. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.